as you're having a seat, we'll allow our children to be dismissed to Children's Church this morning. JT had a cool hat on whenever they were rehearsing. I don't know what happened to it, but uh, I thought it was a trend you were starting, Brother JT. You had a cool hat on last week, too, so, you know... Uh, So, amazing grace. Have you experienced God's grace? Okay, so let's think about that. Have you experienced God's grace in salvation? Right? And we understand that the salvation is, you know, though there's an entry point, this is not like a, this act of repentance, this, 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 this commitment to Christ each and every day while it is called today. Is it's it's not just this. Well, I, I I said a prayer one time. It's I'm living in a committed relationship with God Almighty, uh, following after His Son Jesus Christ, uh, filled with His Holy Spirit. Have you received His grace? Have you experienced His grace? But also, have you experienced it this week? Did you experience God's grace this last week? And I'm not just saying, well, I, I think, I mean, I, was there a moment where you could just go, man, this was of God, and I'm so thankful for it. Thank you, God. I hope you did. I hope you did. I hope that today we'll be able to experience God's grace. Maybe you've already experienced it this morning. I was gathered around the table with, uh, with some men in our church, and they were praying over me. And, and in that moment, I just had to say, God, Thank you for them gathered around me. Thank you for their support and their encouragement. I need it. It's necessary and it's a gift. Thank you, God. I hope that's what we experience whenever we gather on Weekly Connect and as we gather and sing these songs. Not just, hey, God, here's a song that I need, I need you to sing for you, but God, God, thank you that these songs draw me back to you. Draw me back to truth and remembrance. So if you've experienced God's grace, before I pray, I want you to go to the Lord and just say your short, say uh, just thank you, God. You bow your heads and you close your eyes. You say your prayer and then I'll say mine. Thank you, Father, for being so good to us. Thank you for being so good to us while this world is so cruel. Thank you for being good to us. Lord, I can say thank you for the joy that you brought us on Friday as we uh, were gathered to uh, to remember the life of Diana, Lord. That was a grace that I know you gave us that day. Joy won in the midst of our sorrow. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Weekly Connect. Thank you for my brothers and my sisters and the, the, just the, the liveliness and the fellowship that we are getting to experience, Lord. Lord, we pray that it uh, continues to build deep bonds, uh, further establishes us on firm foundation, not just in our faith, but in our relationships with one another. 
it unifies us, strengthens us, so that, uh, so that we're, uh, we, through your spirit, are a force of good in this world, Lord. God, I pray and I thank you for our worship time. I thank you for our musicians who are so de de dedicated to the task. Thank you for my brothers and sisters lifting up their voices, not just from their diaphragm, but from their heart, Lord. God, I pray and I thank you. I thank you for your word. Uh, I thank you for your incarnate word, your son. I thank you for the, 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 the living word, your spirit, Lord. I thank you for your preserved word that we get to study and we get to, we get to know more of your character. And yet, Lord, even as we say all this, we know that you're a little bit uh, enigmatic. You should remain a little bit mysterious to us. So let us not ever think that we have you cornered and we have you figured, Lord. But might we ever be discovering who you are. Uh, Lord, I pray and I ask that you would just be with us today as we uh, go to your word. Lord, uh, equip me for the task uh, of, of preaching and proclaiming uh, the lesson, the message. And uh, Lord, help us all to eagerly receive and uh, anxiously anticipate how we can apply uh, this, this teaching in our lives. Lord, where we need correction, help us to be open to receive it. Lord, where we need encouragement, help us to be open to receive that as well. Uh, Lord, uh, I pray. I ask that you would just please uh, hear this prayer that we bring to you in the mighty, resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. So, uh, we, know, we know that superficial things can affect uh, our judgment and consideration of certain objects, certain aspects of life. Uh, th this is why we have like the timeless, do not judge a book by its cover exhortation, right? We have that because everybody knows you just look at something and you judge, you measure it up, you measure its worth, its value in just a, in, in just a quick second. And you could do this with books. And, and even though it says don't judge a book by its cover, um, you know, there's a lot of graphic designers who are very happy that we do judge books by their covers. And there's a lot of writers who are making money because uh, a graphic designer can play into our sensibilities and, uh, and, 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 and catch our eye. So we go pick up their novel and we go, uh, you know, make the purchase. Right? So, so, so we understand that while there is this exhortation to not judge a book by its cover, we do. We do judge a book by its cover. And, uh, and we judge a lot of things by superficial reality. I bring this up because uh, in our text, in 1 Peter chapter uh, 3, verses 1 through 7, uh, Peter is giving an exhortation to wives and to husbands. And when you just look at it and you look at the amount of space that he gives to the exhortation to the wives, the amount of words that he gives to the exhortation of the wives, you can make a judgment. You can make a consideration. You can say, you know what? Those women really need, had it coming. 
They needed a good talking to, right? And, uh, and, and that's happened in the church. And like we said last week, like this passage has historically been used. And maybe personally it was used in your life. It has been used to uh, uphold authority, or authority and abuse that it was never meant to uphold or to commend. And women, women, I continue to say, if it's been used against you, I'm sorry. And I pray that you will find healing through our Lord and through his mercy from that. So you look at it on the surface and you go, man, Peter really wanted to put those ladies in their place, didn't he? They really needed more, they, they, they needed more of a talking to than the men folk did. Um, today, I will say, my hope is if, if you have that consideration in your heart and your mind, hey, the women needed more talking to than the men did, then I hope today that we can put that judgment, that consideration to bed, and you will find that it's a false judgment. It's a bad judgment of this text. Uh, in fact, uh, what I want to uh, set up to show is that while using fewer words... Peter says a whole lot. Says a whole lot to the men, to the husbands. And so uh, my hope today is that we'll be able to walk away with some deeper understanding of this text. Uh, that we will walk away with a vision for applying Peter's teaching to our lives. And, uh, and then maybe just a general appreciation for Peter's efficient use of language. And y'all might appreciate Peter's efficient use of language because I'm not going to efficiently use language this morning. I'm not going to efficiently use my time this morning, right? Y'all buckle up. I'm just joking um, about that. But, but maybe we can just be, uh, appreciate that Peter says a whole lot in a short space. And, and we can understand the weight of what Peter's saying. And that he's not saying less to the men than what he was saying to the ladies. But they're both equally commanding scriptures. In fact, I, I, I'll just want to give you all some, uh, some, some, some quotes here from some uh, scholars. Because this, is, um, this, this, this issue of judgment, of looking at the length of the text, that's not just something that came into my heart and my mind. Scholars have noticed this. Because Peter gives more weight, uh, uh, more time, more space, more words to his address with women, this is, that has led people to believe, well, he doesn't really have a lot to say to the guys because, guys, we're pretty good. We're good. We're golden, boys. You know, don't worry about it. Simon uh, Kistemaker, he says this. Although the apostle is elaborate in his discussion on the duties of the wife and relatively brief in his instructions to the husband, the significance of his exhortations to the husband ought not to be taken lightly. The significance of these exhortations needs to be taken with weight. Uh, Erlen Waltner and Daryl Charles in their commentary, they said, while Peter's uh, word to Christian husbands is shorter verbally than to wives, it is no less demanding. It is no less demanding. My brothers, I, I invite us to open up our ears this morning to the demands of this text. To the demands that, 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 that are on our lives from this text. 
We'll get into the text in just a moment, but before we do, and before we set out on our course to, 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 bring, the, to bring to light the weight of Peter's message, let's remember what Peter is doing here in the first place. What Peter is doing in the first place is applying a principle that he laid out in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And I'm going to read that for you. We don't have it on the, on the screen this morning, but I will read it. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter is applying this principle that you live honorable lives as disciples of Jesus, as chosen exiles. And he, all he's doing is he's been applying it in different contexts. And here's what I want us to be, be mindful of as we get into this text. Peter is concerned with the witness that chosen exiles are giving to the man Christ Jesus and to the way of Jesus. That's his concern. When society looks at you and you are walking around carrying the name of Christ, what conclusions are they going to come to? Are they going to conclude that this, that, this, that this radical new movement in the first century is here to disrupt society and tear it apart? Are y'all going to be known as the disruptors? What conclusions are they going to draw about, about women who enter into this relationship with Jesus Christ and, and their husbands don't, and now they are walking together? And they're trying to figure out, okay, what does this look like? And what's society going to say about this movement of Jesus? Is Jesus coming in to destroy marriages? What are they going to say about the husband who finds out that there is a man, Christ Jesus, who laid down his life in great show of God's love for him. And he is radically changed. And his life becomes, uh, has a new mission, a new purpose to it. What conclusions are they going to draw about this man and how he treats his wife and the other females in his household? How is he going to wield his authority over them. And in the Greco-Roman world, we have to remember uh, that, that, that men didn't just have like the authority as, I'm a man and I have the authority. They had the rights and the privileges more so than the women did. How are you going to wield this authority? Not, you got the authority, take... No, how do you wield the authority? And again, how you wield your authority is going to give witness to who? Jesus. How you wield your authority is going to give witness to Jesus, and it's going to give witness to the way of Jesus. And do we not remember the way of Jesus? 
And I will never tire of coming to this text. In Philippians chapter 2. The one who had greatest honor, greatest privilege, greatest authority. He did not seize his authority. He humbled himself. He became, God became man incarnate in Christ Jesus. And that man didn't come around with his chest puffed out and saying, bring me your biggest and baddest and I'll take him down. He came as a as his humble servant. As one obedient to the way of God. To God's desire for what kind of character he would have. To God's desire about how he would establish his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. He came obedient to that call and to that command. And in his obedience, that meant that he had to submit himself to the earthly authorities and be crucified on a cross. And it was through this way that Jesus went. That God said, that's what I approve of. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. On the third day, he rose from, from the grave. God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name. And although he has this ruling authority, now we know how he wields his ruling authority, do we not? And he doesn't do it with a backhand. And he doesn't do it with condescension. Uh, Condescension. I was going to say condensation. Ha. He doesn't do it with condescension. He doesn't do it with... I tell you what. I get a vein in my forehead. My dad would do this. Stick his tongue out. He, if he was really mad at me, it came out right there. I don't know where he got that from. I'm like, I'm glad you're not biting down because you would not have a tongue. So, Peter is concerned to all of the chosen exiles in their society about what witness they are giving to Jesus and to the way of Jesus. That is what he's concerned with. He's applying it in different considerations. And now he comes to, he, he's, he's talked to the wives, and now he comes to husbands. And, and, and just, again, just to give you all some, a, a, a better way of kind of maybe understanding this or a deeper way of Thinking through this, listen to what Karen Jobs has to say. She says, because of the call to faith in Christ, or because the call to faith in Christ is a call for a life-changing personal realignment, the conversion of either spouse in the Greco-Roman marriage held the potential for serious problems, both between the couple and between the couple and society depending on how the believing spouse behaved. The situation could also provoke criticism of the Christian religion if its practices were perceived to subvert and disrupt the social order that was so necessary for, their, for the well-being of their society. Converted spouses also no doubt experienced confusion about how their new identity in Christ should affect their relationship to their unbelieving spouse and whether new life in Christ necessarily implied a change of one's role within the social hierarchy. So, deep, deep consideration Peter is talking to these, 
people who have found new identity in Christ and they're going, okay, how does that look in my life as a wife? And we addressed that last week. And we, can, we could keep unpacking stuff from there. But how does that look in me as a husband? Well, now, with all these things that we've said in consideration, let's read 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 7. Brother Will will bring it up on the screen. All right. Go to the next slide. Next slide. There we go. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, so that your prayers be not hindered. Okay, let's just start breaking this down. Okay, uh, likewise. Likewise, 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 likewise. Let's always remember the likewise. Let's hold the likewise in our hearts and our minds. The likewise is just like I said to the wives, just like I said to the servants, just like I said to all the citizenry in regard to the government. Likewise, live honorable lives. So whereas they may speak of you as evildoers, they may come to give glory to God on the day of visitation. Live honorable lives. We can also go back to chapter 2, verse number 17. And y'all, just give ear to chapter 2, verse 17. He says, honor all. Now, uh, in the King James Version, it will say all men. And a lot of translations will say that. But it's just all. All people. They didn't make a distinguishment between men and women whenever they were just going to address the whole group. And they, they would include everybody. It's not saying you honor all men and you just don't give honor to those ladies. It's honor everyone. Give honor to all people. And then he says, love the brotherhood. Love the family of God. Love this new, this, this newly minted identity that you have with these other people. This ragtag group of, of people who believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. <laughs> love them well. And, and, and put up with them and forbear with them. All the things that we could go into that word love. Because guess what? You and I, we have to be loved well. We have to be put up with because you and I are a cast of characters. Are we not? Are we not? Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Fear, trust God. Right? So he's, he's saying, likewise, just as I said to you to, to live honorably in the society, and as I explicated it to you, to, to, to live honorably by giving honor to everyone, by loving people well, by doing all this in the trust of God, just as I've said this, I said it to everybody, and I've applied it in these different ways. I'm, husbands, now pay attention. I, you need to hear this too. I want you all to notice, he says, likewise, husbands, and this is the first time that he's talked to anybody with any amount of authority. He didn't say, oh, y'all honor the governors and governors. If you're a governor, listen to me. One reason why he doesn't do that is because he didn't suppose that the people that he was addressing, any of them were governors. He doesn't say, hey, hey, masters, here's what you do. Why? Because he didn't suppose any of them were masters. He didn't suppose he was dealing with the, 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 the highfalutins of society. 
he supposed that he was writing to people with, with, with relative, uh, relatively little uh, influence and authority. But the one group that he does that has a measure of authority is the husbands and their household. And so he says, likewise, just like I said to everybody else, don't think you're getting out of this. Likewise, men, husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Dwell with them according to knowledge. Two things I want you to see here. Dwell with them. It doesn't say dwell with your wife. And that's very important that we understand this because they use a specific uh, uh, Greek word that just is talking about females in general. Not just talking about wives. And the reason why they would say this is because there was probably more than one female living in their house. There would be their spouse, but there might be their mother-in-law. They might have daughters. They might have some other family members that are in their house. So he is not just saying, hey, here's how you treat your wife. He said to the wives, here's, you pay attention to what your husband, you be honoring to your husband last week. And now he says to the men, he says, I want you to think about how you treat your wife and all other ladies that you dwell with. Y'all catching that? A little, little punch there, isn't there? A little kick. Dwell with them according to knowledge. The word dwell does not just mean like just to inhabit a household. The word dwell is this uh, Greek word, synoike. Uh, I'm not going to even say it. Anyways, uh, it is a Greek word, I promise you. <laughs> and, it, and it really talks about, it, it talks about intimate relationships. And so it's talking about husband and wife relationships. And it will also talk about not just the relationship itself, but, uh, but the intimate acts that you do in that relationship. So it has this kind of, this, this, this entendre where it is talking about, you know, it's talking about your relationship and the most intimate thing that you can do together. And so in, 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 in Greek thought, these things were together. And when he says, dwell with them according to knowledge, that word knowledge is the Greek word gnosis. I can say that one. And it can also mean understanding. And a lot of scholars take it to be mean consideration. So in your marriage relationship and in the intimacy of your marriage relationship, and we all know what I'm saying there, do we not? You, you treat them with consideration. I heard a sad story yesterday. Um, a pastor, a young married couple came into a uh, pastor's office. And this is not a tale. This is an actual thing that I heard yesterday. This is not a preacher's illustration that I got out of a book. A young couple married couple they were struggling in their marriage they sat in the pastor's office and after telling them what they were going through the pastor looks at the wife and says why don't you maybe you should cook, cook him more meals and maybe you should be intimate with him more often you should be considering him texts like these have been used, you have to submit to him, don't you? Don't you? What does that mean? How do I apply that? And we forgot the equal weight given to the husbands that you, you consider them in your marriage relationship and in your intimate 
your most intimate moments, you be considerate of them, who they are. And he gives two points here. He says they're a weaker vessel, and he is not talking about that they are stupid. He's not saying that they're dullards, that they're spiritually, that, that, that they're more lascivious. He is not saying that there's, they, have, they lack tenacity and they lack diligence. He would never dishonor women that way. When he says weaker vessel, he is purely talking about the physical form. And, in a, and one scholar points out, in a manual labor society, guess what? You find out really easily who can carry more of the physical load. And that is not a judgment of one's character, one's value, one's worth. It is purely a difference. And that's all he's saying here is, and if we want to take the weight of it, he's saying, you have way more strength than them physically. You better not use it abusively. In your relationship, in your intimate relationship, you better not be abusing it. Oh man, if we had been taught this this way the whole time, huh? What if it wasn't just an aside? Well, you probably shouldn't beat your wife around, but she needs to be in her place, you know? Like, no! Like, what if it just wasn't an aside? What if this wasn't a throwaway verse? What if we didn't just go, well, he gives so much more to the women. What if we as men actually held on to this? And he said, listen, think about it. You, you 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 are a stronger body. You better mind yourself. Because you can blow off the handle and you can do something that could hurt this precious, valuable, priceless gift that God has given you. You have to be so considerate because physically you are stronger. You have to be considerate. Women, some of you physically are actually stronger than me and other men. So please understand, it's just a general statement. Are y'all getting the punch here? You need to be considerate because she's weaker. But then also, oh my goodness, what does he say next? (sighs) Giving honor unto the wife... uh, as unto a weaker vessel, but also because she's a joint heir together of the grace of life. She's a joint heir. An heir of what? God's inheritance. Hey, guess what? You don't get more of an inheritance than she does, bub. You're not higher up on the social hierarchy in the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of heaven, Paul says, there is neither Greek nor Jew. There's neither or, uh, yeah, Greek nor Jew, nor barbarian, nor Scythian. He says, there's neither male nor female. God doesn't make distinctions. God does not deal with us partially. He doesn't say, hey, you know what? I really like the guys and the ladies I, I'd put up with. He says, I love everybody equally. I gift everybody equally. That's something that we have to deal with in the church. I gift people equally. I don't give some gifts to men and go, well, I'm sorry, I won't give them to women. Scripture tells us in Joel that he will pour out a spirit that everybody from the old all the way down to the babes will be able to testify of him. The first witnesses of his resurrection were women. 
He does not say, well, I give this, this gift of preaching or teaching or pastoring. That's for men, and I don't give that. He gives it to everybody equally. And we might not be there as a church yet. I would hope one day we will be there. But we might not be there as a church there, there yet, as a group. But we should understand that that is the truth. He does not give any of us gifts according to our gender. His spirit blows wherever his spirit wants to blow. As Jesus tells us. Join heirs, heirs together. Women, golly, if, this, if texts like these have ever been used to beat you up and to push you down, oh, may God's grace flood your life today. And may you see that God doesn't see you as a second-class citizen in the kingdom of heaven. He sees you as not only joint heirs with your husband and with men in this world, he sees you as joint heirs with Christ Jesus, his beloved son, his only begotten son. You are on par with your big brother, Jesus, with your Lord and Savior, Jesus. Do you deserve that? I would say, I don't deserve it. God would never say that to you. He would say, that's not even up for consideration because you can't question what I say. Just accept it. It's gift. Receive it. Joint heirs. Are we getting that this is a little punchier? He's very efficient with his language, but he's not saying nothing, is he? He's not, oh, yeah, guys, y'all just you know, make sure you take care. Be considerate of your wives. No, why are you going to be considerate? Because you are, you are physically, you can physically harm them and you can physically hurt them. And that does not give witness to Jesus, does it? Does you wielding your authority abusively look like Christ? Well, I'm the man and I'm the, I'm the authority here. If, 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 if you have that in your heart, I'm going to tell you, if, 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 if you have a problem that your wife's not submitting, you have a control problem. You don't have a wife problem. We have got to read the text and understand and take weight because we have authority and we have to wield it like Christ. And how we wield our authority gives witness to Jesus and it gives witness to the way of Jesus. And we do this because, hey, not only physically can you cause harm, but you need to understand their value and their worth. They are heirs together joint heirs they are not second-class citizens they are not they are not you know they don't receive less of the spirit that receive less of God's love and then he he throws in this caveat and he says do all this so that your prayers are not hindered so that your prayers are not hindered Again, he's not saying that. That seems like a big deal, don't you think? Don't you think? So that your prayers are not hindered. I, I really, the only thing I can say about this theologically is I remember Jesus telling us after he taught the disciples to how to pray and he gave them the, the, the famous, the Lord's Prayer. And in that prayer, he says, uh, you know, Father, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
after the prayer, Jesus says, if you don't forgive people, why would you expect the Father to forgive you? Or how would you go and ask him that? And so theologically, I don't know how it works because I do know that God's ultimately generous. He's ultimately good. He's ultimately gracious. But I also know that God goes, hey, don't ask me for something that you're not doing. Right? So I can see that. But then practically, and I always like to look at things practically, and this is what I would say. If you're thinking about a man in a, in a marriage, and maybe his wife is a little unruly, and I don't know about you guys, but sometimes wives get a little unruly. And I don't know if y'all know this. This is a cry for help. No, I'm just joking. For my unruly bride. No. Uh, we all get a little unruly. But here's the deal. And if you go, man, I want her to see this. I need her to understand this. There's multiple ways that I can go about this. But I'm praying to God that she will, she, she'll, she'll come to this understanding. And husbands and wives, that's what we do. Practically, that's what we do. We can honor each other and we can lift each other up, but we also have to hold each other in check sometimes. And he's saying, okay, so if you want your wife to, 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 to understand something or to maybe, 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 maybe grow in an area or maybe, uh, may, maybe be healed of something in another area or some brokenness that she has in her life, don't go in there and be like, John, just, just stop doing what you're doing. I said, so stop. If this is your prayer, if this is your prayer that your wife would be healed of some trauma, that your wife uh, would, would, would grow in an area of wisdom or, or be more patient or something like that. I'm not saying anything that she doesn't know, guys, okay? If this is your prayer, if this is your prayer, then how you conduct yourself with your wife will go a long way in bringing that prayer to fruition. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten in my own way about, like, if, if Brittany has offended me and I want her to see that she's offended me, how many times I have ruined the whole message because of my temper. Because instead of going to her with consideration and understanding of her, I went in there and said, you better understand what you're doing to me. And you know what she did? Oh, I'm so sorry, honey. That helped me so well. Thank you for opening my eyes. I was just a simple dullard all this time, and now you've come to my life, and you have revealed truth to me. And you know what she said? She said, you don't come and talk to me that way because that, doesn't, that does not win friends and influence people. What, what I did was create more of a, more hurt, more of a chasm between that. So whenever I look at this practically, I know what it looks like. Whenever I don't wield my spirit well. Whenever I am a man who is like a, uh, who's lost his temper, and the proverb says, I'm like a city that's broken down without walls. I'm subject and suspect, uh, or I'm subject to attack from all sides. Peter says it really efficiently, doesn't he? But he packs a whole lot in there. Likewise, let's remember likewise. Likewise, we need to uh, be very considerate in our relationships, men, 
with our wives and with other women around us. We don't want to uh, wield our strength, our power, our voice, our authority in ways that could be physically harmful to them, emotionally harmful to them. We need to honor them. Why would we honor them? Why would we honor them? We honor them because they're joint heirs together with us. Because they too are the beloved daughters. The beloved daughters. You, you, you honor them because your Father in heaven honors them. Because Jesus, your liberating King, honors them. Because the Holy Spirit of God indwells them, giving them great honor. And don't get in your own way. If you would like her to pick up things a little bit more around the house, and that's a practical concern, don't be a jerk about it. I bet you, I bet you if you're a jerk about it, it's not going to help your cause. And you might say, well, she picked it up, didn't she? Yeah, but now she has, your marriage is dying by a death of a thousand cuts. Because she picked it up, but in her heart, she was beaten down, she was broken. And that does not look like the way of Jesus, does it? And that doesn't look like the man Christ Jesus, does it? So, Peter wants us to apply this to our lives. He wants us, he wants us to apply it, husbands, men, and our lives, and our church, as we go out in the, our community, how we treat women with consideration, with honor and respect. And why does he want us to do that? Because your life is not about revealing who you are, bud, right? Our lives are not about showing people who I am, what I can do. Our lives are to give witness to Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus say? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But not me. Not the, not the shepherd. Not the great I am. Oh, no, you know what I came to do? I came to bring life. And to bring it more abundantly. And so, my brothers, yeah, as we go, I know there's been a lot of probably, uh, uh, you know, hard things that you've heard. But let's remember this. We have the opportunity to give witness to the one who brings life. Woo! Brittany almost did that the other day at a funeral. It was weird. But um, I did that in honor of you, my sweet bride. So let's go give witness to the life-giving one. And how did he give life? Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? He didn't give life by saying, look at me and give me yours. He gave he gives life by giving his own. Shall we go like that? Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's talk to God about what God's talking about.